Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let me tell you all something about Anchor. If you ever want to start your own podcast or create your own podcast, Anchor makes it really easy. First of all, it's absolutely free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more popular platforms. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All gas, no brakes. And now we have liftoff. Welcome into the now we have liftoff New York Jets podcast. I am your host, John June. And of course, as always, I got my guy, my co-host, Frank Jim Piccolo. Frank, what is up, bro? What is going on, John? Not much, man. Not much. Uh, Free agency has come and still we're still in the midst of it. I think, you know, we'd call this like wave three or four. I don't really know what it would be at this point, but. The Jets have made some moves. They've made some noise. Uh, they've also done some things or have not done some things that we would have liked them to do. So we're going to jump into all of that. But before we have to jump into that, we got to discuss some news that went down as of, you know, we record this Sunday, March 28th. Uh, so on Friday, we had some some really big news go down, Frank. Uh, we had two trades go down involving Three teams. Uh, and so, we the Miami Dolphins uh, make a trade with the San Francisco 49ers where the Niners move up from 12 to 3. And in exchange, they package uh, a 2021 third round pick, which coincidentally enough is the pick that I believe they got for uh, a compensatory pick, which they got for the Jets hiring uh, Robert Sala as a minority coach. And then they were, they sent over first-round picks in 2022 and 2023 for the Dolphins' number three pick in the draft. And you only make a move like that if you're moving up for a quarterback. So tons of speculation as to what would happen. But uh, many people are thinking this is uh, kind of just, you know, because you don't make this deal without trying to trade up even higher, potentially, right? So this is kind of, you know, the making people think that the Jets are going quarterback here at two. So, Frank, what were your thoughts on the trade for 
the Niners, uh, what do you think of the trade for you know for them and the Dolphins? And then what do, how do you think that this impacts the Jets potentially? Well, I think it's two-pronged, right? Uh, one less suitor for the Jets to trade Sam Darnold if they choose to uh, draft one of the quarterbacks. And also it's interesting because the, the Dolphins traded to, to 12 and then back up with the Eagles. So they really only moved down a couple spots and still gained another number one draft pick. The Dolphins are going to be scary in a couple years, even if they keep Tua. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, t- talking from a Niners perspective, you're totally right. This this does take them out of the running for uh, Sam Darnold and also kind of puts, you know, creates competition for the Jets as they try to trade Sam Darnold because what's going to happen with Jimmy Garoppolo? You know, he's somebody that could potentially be moved uh, as a result. I mean, as a result of this trade. So curious to see what happens there with the Niners. Uh, as you said, the Dolphins then turned around and made this trade uh, with the Eagles trading away. Uh, basically, you know, it's not clear if it's, you know, their 2020 sec first round pick or the or their 2022 first round pick or the or the one they got from the Niners. I but read they're giving that. Up I a read that it was theirs. Okay, so it's going to be their 2022 uh, first round pick uh, that they're sending to the Eagles uh, in exchange for uh, the number uh, six pick. Uh, they're also sending the number 12 pick, which they got from the Niners, and then the Eagles and the uh, the Dolphins are doing a swap of, of mid-round picks as well. So um, the Eagles move down, and this is important, right? Because the Eagles, it was said that they would they were only they were interested in moving up to three, uh, but were only trying to do so for BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. Uh, and basically, all of this stuff went down. Uh, the day of Zach Wilson's pro day. And coincidentally enough, Frank, and I know you and I didn't talk about this on air as a thought that I had um, yesterday, but do you, like, I was trying to think about the Tony Pauline report, right? Uh, The one that came out basically Friday morning, or I don't even know if it was Thursday night, Friday morning. It was the pro football, the, the, the PFN report, um, Tony Pauline said that the Jets are the Jets are going forward with Zach Wilson and uh, moving on from Sam Darnold. And I thought the timing of that report was just really weird at the time, right? Because it's so weird to to write a report like that in the middle of March, a month a month out of out of the way of the draft, and the night before Tony uh, the night before uh, or the day but the morning of Zach Wilson's pro day, and so you know makes me think that this trade was in the works, right? It had to have been in the works. Uh, Somebody in the Eagles, and you look at the relationship between Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas and then Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, there's no way that these guys didn't know that the Jets are probably taking Zach Wilson here, hence why the Eagles were comfortable not moving up from 6-3, to moving back from 6 to 12 saying hey we'll go we'll we'll look at the quarterback class next year and then the same way that the 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 Niners are moving up to 3 knowing okay we're comfortable with the guy we're going to get here and you only do that if you know 
if you have an idea who the Jets are taking at three, what do you think of or at two? What do you think about all that, Frank? Oh no, it's hard to make a lot out of it because you haven't heard any leaks coming from the Jets. Um, they still talk pretty highly of Sam. Uh, you don't know if that's just them trying to keep up his trade value or if their talks internally still going on. I mean, look, if you're trying to sell your house, right, you're, you're not going to tell the, the person that comes to your open house that like, oh, yeah, no, nah, they've got this thing wrong with it. This house is, you know, it's an OK house. It's not that great. Right. No, you're going to sell it. You're going to sell it up. So you, I think you they have to continue to be positive about Sam. They have to continue to say positive things about Sam because, you know, the, you're trying to continue to generate a market for him. Yeah, absolutely. And. And, um, you know, uh, Zach Wilson had a pretty good pro day. Um, I I think it was important that you had Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, and uh, Mike LaFleur there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So talk, let's talk about the pro day, Frank. What were your, what, any takeaways? I know it's tough to get a take any, you know, real takeaways from a pro day, you know, guys throwing, throwing on air and home in a, you know, shorts and a t-shirt when on a script that they've been practicing for, for weeks, but what, anything to take away from it, Frank? Not too much. I expected him to ball out. He's got a cannon. He's athletic. You know, you saw that one pass where he's rolling out to his left. He did kind of like a jump and did that flick of the wrist and threw the ball 50 yards in the air. Looked a little like, I hate to hate to put it out there, <laughs> but kind of looked like Aaron Rodgers a little bit. Uh, some of Aaron Rodgers' throws when he came in for Brett Favre. But, you know, my number one knock on Zach Wilson is that he kind of reminds me of Ryan Leaf when it comes to what's upstairs. So... They got to talk to him, make sure his heart's in the game, and make sure it's going to be a good fit in the locker room. Yeah, man, definitely. That's, you know, I I know that was one of my concerns as well. And, and, you know, it's something that sticks in the back of my mind. But, you know, I I know Johnny Manziel has been thrown around as well. uh, So, you know, that's one of those things that it, it is tricky, man, because the quarterback position is, is, you know, especially, you know, you know any NFL player, but especially the quarterback position, that's the leader. That's the guy that's supposed to inspire uh, not just 10 guys on offense, but he's got to be able to inspire that defensive unit as well, right? Um, so Everybody, you know, special teams, we need a, practice squad. Special teams, I mean – it's it's it. He's really going to when when there's a franchise quarterback or that you that quarterback position is solidified. The team just moves a little bit differently, man, and and uh, it's got to move as the quarterback moves. And and so I I do understand the concerns there. All accounts out of BYU have been positive about Zach Wilson. So you know we're gonna see. I mean we we will see. I, I don't think we you know you and I uh, really have a say in the matter here, Frank. So. No, but what, are, know, <laughs> what is his teammate supposed to say, that he's a terrible guy and he's a jerk? No, no, but at the same time, you know, he got voted team captain, um, and, and this isn't like a Josh Rosen situation where you were hearing leaks that Josh Rosen's teammates don't like him, 
you know, that you know, it was coming out in like draft meetings that, you know, somebody asked an offensive lineman to name, you know, some of your favorite teammates and they didn't name Josh Rosen and that was like a red flag. And, you know, again, look at the way Josh Rosen's career has ended up, but none of those things have, you know, some of those things have been said about Zach Wilson, but none of those things have been really vetted or, um, you know, have really come to light. They've only, they've, they've mostly been things that have been started by, by other people, right? It's like, oh, he took two hot girls to prom as a, as a senior in high school. He's a bad person, you know? So, uh, or Rich Cimini saying that he wasn't a captain when there was pictures of him with a C on his chest, which basically means he was at one point a captain, right? And he, and so, you know, it was later clarified that he had earned the title later on in, in the year after not being initially voted a captain. Yeah, Samini's so, a Sam, <coughs> excuse me, Samini's a Sam fanboy. We all know that. I mean, you know, there was you could you could have accused a lot of people of being Sam fan Sam stands this weekend because uh, you you mentioned Aaron Rodgers when you brought up that throw that Zach Wilson made, but. I, I was thinking about somebody else who I've seen make that throw, and I'm I'm th- I'm talking about Sam Darnold. Yeah, Lu- so <laughs> Lewis Riddick put up the the video of Sam doing that in that later part of that 49er game, but you know where he's rolling left, and yeah, toss the ball into the end zone. Yeah, Sam's got all the talent in the world. It just you know he just hasn't been able to put it together, and you know some of it is his fault, some of it's the previous coaching staff's fault, but at the end of the day, it's a results-driven league, and the results have not been there for Sam Darnold. No, and that is that is a fact. And that from everything that we've talked about, and you know, we don't have to rehash it here, no, but just from a contract standpoint, it it just makes sense to move on, right? So uh, there are still some suitors out there. Um, you know, it does look a little dry right now, um, but. I wouldn't be, you know, su- guys. I wouldn't wh- be surprised if, because the situation in Seattle is getting a little iffy. I wouldn't be surprised for a, th- a three-team trade with Seattle, Chicago, and the Jets, where we're sending, <coughs> excuse me, sending Sam to Seattle. Hey, you know, I would, I would, uh, definitely, definitely sign up for something like that. Um, especially if it involves, uh, you know, us getting multiple first round picks, uh, cause I'm never opposed to that. Uh, but you know, we'll see what happens in, in JD, we trust and in JD, we trusted to handle this free agency here. So we've got to rehash that. We obviously talked about a bunch of guys that they did not sign. Um, but we talked about a bunch of positions, which they targeted. So we're just going to run through them here. Uh, kind of work our way down from from the bigger free a- bigger f- named free agents, you know, and, and work our way down from there. So let's start with the biggest name. Uh, he was the third guy that they signed. Uh, but if we talk about impact, he probably will have the most impact, and that is edge rusher Carl Lawson. Um, again, probably the prized guy from the group. They signed him to a twenty five year deal. Worth about uh, worth three million three years. Sorry, they signed him to a three year deal worth forty five million dollars. Uh, the twenty five year old pass rusher with thirty million dollars in guarantees, which is really just a two year deal. 
Um, but Frank, this is an explosive pass pass rusher, uh, according to Pro Football Reference, led uh, the NFL in quarterback knockdowns, tied for fourth in pressures, and the Jets are betting on Salah to get the most out of him. So, uh, what what do you think of the signing of Carl Lawson, and, and what do you think of of the player coming from Cincinnati? I like the player a lot. The Jets really did a lot with their D line in this free agency, so that must be a point of emphasis um, for Robert Salah and Ulrich. And if you look at the San Francisco defenses, they always had that rotation of guys coming Mm -hmm. in and out, which I think is important to keep guys fresh, uh, especially in those tight games in the fourth quarter. Um, A a lot of people get caught up with that Carl Lawson didn't have a lot of sacks. But but to me, that that doesn't mean too much. Are you getting to the quarterback? Are you knocking the quarterback on his butt? And which is... What is really interesting is that he was tootled by former, uh, God rest his soul, all pro Kevin Green, mm-hmm. which I think uh, you know he talked he talked about when Kevin Green passed away and um, he played that game in Pittsburgh. How much that game uh, meant to him with that couple of sacks that he had against Big Ben, and that was all for Kevin Green who really helped Carl Lawson develop into the pass rusher that he is now. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I felt, I told you actually, uh, I think it was the next day or, uh, even before we signed Carl Lawson, I said, I was, I was mad that I didn't talk about Carl Lawson. Cause this guy, when he was coming out of Auburn, he was one of my favorite guys. And, uh, I thought the jets should have targeted him in in the you know at least the second or third round he ends up being a fourth round pick uh because of injury issues has eight has eight and a half sacks as a rookie um you know has you know continued to deal with some injury issues uh had uh, i think tore his acl twice once in college and once in the nfl so um you know he's battling those but you know this guy ends up signing for more money than guys like yannick and gakwe uh, Trey Hendrickson, you know, guys that we thought were going to make money on the market. So, some guys that we even wish the you know wanted the Jets to target. You know, if if the Jets went out and signed, if you told me the day before free agency that the Jets were going to give this contract to Yannick and Gakwe, I would have said, you know, Amen, sign me up. But they didn't give this money to Yannick and Gakwe. They gave it to Carl Lawson, and Yannick and Gakwe took less money. So that's what just kind of tells you what they think of Carl Lawson and what they think he can be in this scheme. And so I'm excited, you know, like you said, you referenced the old Niners schemes and and how they had a rotation of defensive linemen. And I think Carl Lawson on this D-line, you know, with Quentin Williams and with the other additions that we'll get into, I think it's going to be one to be a force to be reckoned with. Oh, without a doubt. All right, man, now that they've made an impact signing on defense, you know that they had to make one on offense. Uh, I don't know how much impact this one will have, but we'll get into that. Corey Davis, wide receiver, former wide receiver of the Tennessee Titans, signs a three-year, $37.5 million deal and uh, with $27 million in guarantees. And as Joe Douglas likes to do them, the deals are never as long as you think that they are. This three-year deal is another potential two-year deal here. Um, Again, uh, you know, Frank. Let me tell me what you think of this signing because I I had my thoughts and I've had to organize them. And, and so, what did you what do you think of this signing right here by Corey of Corey Davis? I think I'm a little 
higher than this signing than you are. I know you were. Yeah, I know you're big on the Jets needed Curtis Samuel because they needed someone to fill that Devo Samuel role, and I think the two Smith brothers can fill that role. Um, you don't need to pay somebody a, a huge amount of money to do that role. I think they needed a a one A one B type of receiver, which is why I wanted them to target the Kenny Galladay types. Um, when you see what he signed for with the Giants, I think the Corey Davis deal is uh, a much better deal with higher upside. Like he could be that Brandon Marshall type of receiver, that Keyshawn Johnson mm-hmm. type of receiver. If he just stays healthy, if he just you know we get a quarterback, especially in the scheme that we're going to be running, like he should be open ninety percent of the time. And I think. What the Jets are doing all around on their offense with their skill position players, maybe wide receiver, running backs, tight ends. They want guys that can block to help in that running game. Yeah, definitely, man. And and like you said off the top, you're you're uh, heavier on this signing than I am. I've it's it's grown on me to let's to say the least, right? And that's because, like you said, I wanted the Curtis Samuel types. Uh, you know, guys that were really going to um, be able to make plays in space uh, and be able to, you know, kind of, like you said, fill that Debo Samuel role, but do more than that, which is what I thought Curtis Samuel could be. And I think there's still an opportunity to get a guy like that in the draft. You know, I said it before, I think, you know, they had, with those two picks in the third round, uh, because we're sure that that, obviously, that first round pick, that set number two overall pick is going to be used on a quarterback, uh, 23 and 34 think those might be reserved for offensive linemen um but those the picks in the middle rounds and in the the two picks that they have in the third round i think one of those will be used on a receiver uh to help it help out in this pass game uh but you know like you said Corey davis i think he complements this um you know you've got to have your you're, you want your run game to complement your pass game. And so they've got these two big wide receivers on the outside to complement this wide zone run scheme. When you look at Corey Davis and you look at Denzel Mims, two 200 plus pound wide receivers that can get downfield and also uh, use their their length and their physicality to be maulers in the run game uh, when it comes to blocking these defensive backs and digging out these linebackers and these safeties. Yeah, and I think what's also important is they're both – have a really good route tree. Yeah, I mean, obviously Corey Davis, he's he's a seasoned vet at this point. Uh, Denzel Mims still has some work to do, but like you were saying before, when you're talking about play action, you know these two big bodies running running over the middle. I know you brought up uh, you know Keyshawn Johnson and and Brandon Marshall before when you're talking about Corey Davis, but the more and more I think about this, why can't this be the semblance of of uh, Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker that they had, you know, you know, Corey Davis uh, can play some in the slot, but you know, you look, you talk about these two big receivers on the outside that just bully DBs. Yeah, and then you're gonna have Jamison Crowder coming across the middle. Yeah, I mean, if he's still here, we we shall see about that one, because um, that's definitely not not a given right now. Uh, given you know the moves that they've made and the moves that they can still make, but a move that they made that I know you were high on, Frank, because you were telling me 
all off season or you know before free agency started you know i want you even brought it up on the show like i want solomon thomas and i was saying you know i just feel like the jets are so you know they have all these guys on the interior defensive line but you kept telling me john they sala likes to rotate his defensive linemen he need we need at least one more guy and so the jets go out sign sheldon rankins to a two-year 11 million dollar deal that can be up to worth worth up to 17 million dollars through incentives uh dude hasn't played 16 games a 16 game season since 2018 so injuries are a concern there but the last time he did play 16 games frank he had he had eight sacks that season so what's your excitement level for the sheldon rankins edition and how do you see him fitting into this this defensive line in this scheme Oh, I love it. I think it's a great fit, especially with the defense alignment that the Jets already have. Uh, I think you could even move like uh, John Michael. Uh, John Franklin Myers. Yeah, that name always gets me. Um, to the outside, on the other side of Lawson, because mm-hmm. I think he has that type of mm-hmm. body where he could be that setting the edge type of defensive end. And I think I think the Jets' defensive line could be like what they had with John Abraham and Sean Ellis when Herm was running this team. Like I think I think they could be that good with the depth that they have, yeah. the linebackers that they have. You know, cornerback is an issue right now, but that front eight is going to be scary. Yeah, man, this defensive line is is they're definitely building something. You know, they're they're taking a strength and making it an even bigger strength. I mean, obviously, the addition of Carl Lawson was huge, uh, and and that just you know reverberates across the defensive line when you look at what it does for a guy like Quinnen, uh, and what a guy like Quinnen does for Carl Lawson. But now you add Sheldon Rankins to the mix, and now you see what a guy like Sheldon Rankins could do for a guy like Quinnen uh, in the middle. Uh, in that interior, which again is just going to, you know, Carl Lawson in this wide nine defense, he's going to have all this space to work and all these one, potential one-on-one opportunities to work with, and and then now you're spreading, you know, the interior of this offensive line of these offensive lines thin because you can't double everybody. No, and that's what the so, Niners did, right? With all their defensive line, uh-huh. who were you doubling on that team when when they were healthy, when they made it to the Super Bowl, and that's why they were so effective. It wasn't that their D backs were. So great, and I think the Jets could are, are following that blueprint. Like, okay, maybe we're not going to pay big money to our cornerbacks. We're going to get young, long, athletic guys that can play good in space. But we're going to count that our defensive line and our linebackers are going to get to the quarterback and make him make a uh, off-target throws. Yeah, man. I mean, and then you talked about John Franklin Myers also. I, you know, I totally agree with with you there. I mean, he's a, he's a guy six four, two hundred and eighty five pounds. About, I think, he, you know, you ask him to 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 drop five ten pounds and move him out to that edge. And now he's playing that five technique where he can move he can move inside on passing downs and be that interior rusher and even provide more depth there. And then we haven't even talked about the guys that are going to be coming off the, these lines and rotations, right? Like Foley Fadikasi, he's still going to have a role on this defensive line. Um, you know, uh, Bryce Huff, who I think could still be a rotational player on out on the edge. Nathan Shepard, who can be a rotational player on the interior of the defensive line. Another guy in Vinnie Curry, who we're going to get to in a little bit as well. So uh, there's going to be a lot of a lot of fresh blood and juice flowing through this defensive line, which again 
like you said, they're 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 choosing not to spend money at corner, right? I I, I uh, one of the things I heard um, Nick Spano from U Stadium said that they were that they were in on William Jackson, who ended up signing with uh, the the Washington football team. So some I, I don't know if we brought him up on the show, but I know he was somebody that I had I had ta- I had wanted Frank. Um, so. Uh, they did. They did a sniff there. Apparently, they weren't in on Shaquille Griffin. They weren't in on any of the other corners. They haven't brought back Brian Poole. Kwan Williams resigned with the 49ers on a one-year deal. So they haven't been sniffing around this corner market. So, like you said, I think they're trying to build it through this defensive line. Maybe they're going to try to get younger and 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 faster at corner through the draft. Uh, because, like we said, you know, we said it before. Uh, they can. They can basically take a traits guy in the third round of the draft right you, you can take a you can you know if, let's say you don't get a Sertan you don't get a JC Horn you can potentially get uh you know a, a, a guy who, who's got length and who's got speed that Salas says hey I can work with this guy in our scheme well absolutely and you still have Bryce Hall so Yes, yes. I mean, I'm always, every time we talk about corners, I've already assumed Bryce Hall is starting at one corner, but it's still not good enough. No, I know, but you still have Richard Sherman out on the block, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. Like you said, we're in the third and fourth wave. It's not over yet. Yeah, definitely not, definitely not. Um, all right, so the signings start to trickle down a little bit, uh, but this was actually the first signing that they made as we get to our next one, but... Gerard Davis, uh, the linebacker, former linebacker of the Detroit Lions, signs a one-year deal that's worth up to $7 million. He uh, had been reportedly misused by Matt Patricia, who is the, it's been said, is the Adam Gase of defenses. So, you know, we'll see how this signing turns out. But the Jets think, again, that Salah can get the best out of a guy here uh, in Gerard Davis, the former linebacker from the University of Florida. So a former first-round pick here. Frank, what are your thoughts on the signing? What were your thoughts on, on Davis when he was coming out? Oh, I like Davis a lot. He's a hard no- he's hard-nosed football player, runs good downhill. He's going to be a good outside linebacker in that 4-3 scheme. Or even, you know, we talked about possibly moving Mosley to one of those spots and Jared Davis playing the mic. I think he's a good piece where they could move him around. The only thing about him that scares me is he's really, really not good in covering that running back out of the backfield. So so I don't know what they're going to do with that, but, you know, for what they signed him for, I think it's low-risk, high-reward. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, – we've talked about this. Uh, I, I don't really care for the signing all that much. Um, you know, I think, like you said, high-risk, high-risk. High, high no, low risk, high reward signing here with Gerard Davis because it's at worst. At worst, it's like you you overpaid some for Neville Hewitt. Because <laughs> I mean, again, I'm not even trying to compare Gerard Davis to Neville Hewitt. I'm just comparing what you're expecting from the two players, right? Yeah, but in terms you, of the production. At, when you look at uh, Davis's production in his first two years before. Adam Gase 2.0, Matt Patricia got there and played him out of position. He was a tackling machine. He caused a lot of forced fumbles, which is something we didn't really see out of Lang, Lange or Neville Hewitt. And Neville Hewitt only really had one year of solid production. So we didn't know, we don't really know what we were going to get 
having Neville Hewitt play in that 4-3 defense when we already saw uh, Jared Davis play well for two years in that uh, type of defense. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I think that's something to point, and especially when you look at Salah's experience with, with um, you know, with middle linebackers, with the linebacker position, what he was able to do for Fred Warner. Um, and, and if so, if Robert Sala is picking out, picking a guy out at this position and saying, this is the guy that I want, I'm, you know, and again, this was the first signing that they made and, and it was, it wasn't even like, you know, a ton of linebackers have been taken off the board at that point. You know, this was just the, this was the first signing that they made. And so I'm going to follow suit here. I mean, again, looking at his stats, the guy had 96 tackles as a rookie, 100 total tackles in 16 games in his second year, had six six sacks that year as well, um, you know, has three forced fumbles, has, has made some plays in the pass game. But like you said, the pass game is what kind of scares me here with, with Gerard Davis. But, you know, it's kind of what scared me with, with Neville Hewitt as well. So, again, if at worst we're getting a souped-up Neville Hewitt in the run game, uh, you know, you can't really, I guess, go wrong from that perspective. And then you combine that with Sala being in the building. I'm not, I'm not, not a fan. No, absolutely. And especially with them signing Joyner. So I think Joyner is going to be the guy that is going to be covering those uh, guys coming out of the backfield in those, when the Jets go three safety sets. Yeah, man. I I mean, and I'm glad you brought him up. Lamarcus Joyner signed, joins the Jets on a one year deal uh, to add some depth to the safety position. We know Marcus May was hit with the franchise tag, which he has since then signed. So we know he'll be he'll be um, you know he'll be playing football for the Jets in in September. Uh, so Lamarcus Joyner, Ashton Davis, now uh, you know create this three safety. Uh, potentially three safety package here uh, where you can, you know, and you and I have talked about this Joyner and may and, and Ashton Davis, they all kind of do some of the same things, right? Where like LaMarcus Joyner can, can play free and he can play in the box and he can play a little nickel and, and Marcus may can play free really well. And he can, but he can also play in the box, maybe not as good, uh, but he can do it. He can also cover tight ends. And then you got Ashton Davis, who can kind of do it all, right? We've seen him play in the box. We've seen him play. Uh, you know, we know he can play free because he's got that exceptional range to be able to do it. Um, and you know, we've even seen him play on the line of scrimmage. We've, you know, we've seen him. We've seen him play nickel. So they've got a versatile, uh, versatile group of safeties here. Which I think, if you look at the NFL and you look at the, you know, the the use of uh, running backs as receivers, like you said, uh, tight ends as pass catchers, uh, multiple, you know, different personnel groupings. I think having three safeties who are interchangeable is really important in today's game. Oh, no question. No question. So, um, you know, they, you know, getting on to some of these other signings, uh, you know, go sticking with the, with the offense here, or we'll go to offense here. Uh, Tyler Croft, uh, add some tight end depth, uh, Dan Feeney, uh, to add some, some offensive line depth, uh, Keelan Cole gets in there to, 
uh, potentially be some wide receiver depth or even a potential replacement down the line. We'll see what happens. But Keelan Cole as the team's fourth receiver at this point in time, like he's got to be the best number four receiver that they've ever had. He might be the best number four receiver in the league. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. I wouldn't go that far just because I don't who, think we have. Look who he's been playing with. He's got top, top flight speed, great hands. I am really excited to see Keelan Cole in this type of offense. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited about it as well. I'm, I'm definitely excited. Uh, Keelan Cole, he, he's made some plays that that have excited me. He's a little bit of an older prospect, um, but at worst, he's going to come in here and and be our our starting punt returner and potentially a kick returner as well. So, uh, I like I like this list signing as you know, like I said, he's he's the best number four receiver I think we've had uh, outside of Brad Smith, of course. Um, See, but that is as me- you know, <laughs> immediately what I thought when they signed Keelan Cole. I thought Brad Smith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one will ever be as good at that role as Brad Smith was. Oh, um, here we go. You know. <laughs> you know, you know, Brad Smith would be a perfect fit for this offense. You know, they really need to sign someone like Brad Smith. They did. Because he could play that Devo Samuel role really well. You they know? did. I think Keelan Cole can <laughs> fill that role. We just have to wait and see what happens. <laughs> um, another guy that they did sign, uh, Tevin Coleman at running back. Uh, One-year deal worth $2 million. Uh, and Tevin Coleman uh, coming from San Francisco. So this is the first 49er that actually follows Sala over from San Francisco. So there you go with that one. But what do you think of this signing with Tevin Coleman? Uh, I'm not expecting much from Tevin Coleman. I, like we've been saying, they're not going to invest a lot in this position, which, you know, one year worth, worth up to two million is not a lot. Um, and it will probably be some sort of committee, but what do you think of this signing here? Uh, it doesn't really move the needle for me. Veteran presence. Maybe he can fill that Frank Gore leadership role without getting, the 15 carries a game that uh, Frank Gore got. <laughs> that, that's all I'm really expecting. <coughs> Helping Ty Johnson and all the other running backs that are in the room. That's it. Yeah, I think that's really what this is, right? Tevin Coleman's just going to be in here. I mean, this guy, like, you know, you know, obviously, Frank, the from the fantasy world, I, I'm, I'm kind of plugged in that way. Tevin Coleman, constantly injured. Uh, I think this dude, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he was held together by like athletic tape at this point. Yeah, because Gorilla Glue. He's just, just <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's he's really just uh you know he he's he's always injured um whether it's lower extremities whether it's a broken arm or a shoulder or a concussion or something with Tevin Coleman. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is purely a depth signing. This is purely somebody who's going to be in here with these running backs, uh, with these younger backs, like you said, Josh Adams, Michael P. Ryan, uh, Ty Johnson, who I think could really excel in this offense and this scheme. Um, you know, showing them the ropes and, and how, you know, how to hit these gaps and where to hit these runs and, um, you know, what, you know, how to kind of read it pre-snap and all these different things that a running back is supposed to do. Uh, you know, pass protection, all that stuff. I think Tevin Coleman is going to help that way more than he'll have that impact on the field. 
and yes, like you said, will not be rewarded with 15 or so carries a week for doing so. So, um, yeah, maybe Tevin Coleman, <laughs> he may be, I mean, again, it's not Kyle Shanahan over here, so there, but I wouldn't be surprised to see random days where Tevin Coleman doesn't touch the ball and then to see random days where Tevin Coleman is the lead guy. So, uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll happen. It'll, you know, teeter totter. It'll go up and down, but we'll have to see, uh, Let's wrap up the rest of these free agency signings, Frank, and then we can get into some of the stuff that we wish they had done. Uh, but, Frank, I know one of the signings you are really hyped about, uh, Justin Hardy, defensive back, special teams player, comes over from the New Orleans Saints, signs a three-year, $6.75 million deal. Frank, tell us why you're all excited about Justin uh, Hardy, man. If you ever played football before, especially high school football, this is the type of person every coach wants. That hair on fire, that that motor that goes 24-7. And I was excited before I heard his press conference because, you know, you watch, you watch him on special teams. He's probably the best gunner in the league. But when he talks about playing with heart, how he plays like he has to feed his daughter – I think that's the prototypical type of person that Douglas talked about when Douglas signed with the Jets. That a person that wants to, that hates to lose more than he wants to win. That they eat, sleep, drink football. I think it's going to fit very well um, with what uh, the special teams is going to want to do. Yeah, man. I mean, and then you, you know, Justin Hardy at the press conference was great. Talked about his, his late mother. Uh, talked about feeding his child, um, and and that's why he won't be denied. And, and like you said, you know, you and I, both former players, uh, f- former coaches, um, we we appreciate that passion, right? We appreciate that love for the game because at at the end of the day, that's what it's really all about. And and Justin Hardy uh, having that mentality, you see. Uh, Cam Jordan and a, a bunch of guys in New Orleans were tweeting out that they just lost a special teams player and they're tweeting out sad faces and, and things like that because, uh, again, he, this guy's not coming in here to make an impact on defense. He's really not. He he got signed here to be a, a special teams demon, essentially. Yeah, and I think, right? be I, a, be a, I think him and Brent Boyer are going to hit it off from day one. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's going to be our, he's going to be our, you know, like you said, he's probably, he's already one of the best gunners in the league. Uh, he's, he's going to, you know, he's going to be in there on, on, on even, um, on punt return team, punt block affecting the game that way as well. I'm sure he'll be one of the main, uh, you know, one of the, the top guys on the kickoff coverage unit. So like this guy's impact was going to be felt in the, in the kicking game. And so I'm excited about that, and I'm excited that the Jets, um, you know, they've realized that that's, that's something that, that's really important. I mean, hey, look, one of the things we did talk about uh, is I think the Jets were going to use this free agency as an opportunity to fill fill the roster. Uh, and they, I think they've done about that. They've, I mean, by my count, they've added 11 guys uh, through free agency, maybe even maybe 12, actually. Um, 
and it doesn't even account the guys that they brought back. So uh, de- definitely good signings here, especially this last one here, which we're going to talk touch on right now. But Vinny Curry signed for the veteran minimum. Uh, Frank, what were your thoughts on a Vinny Curry deal? Because we talked about the defensive line and the rotation and all this stuff. But Vinny Curry coming from the Philadelphia Eagles on a vet minimum, uh, somebody that we've kind of talked about as a, as a, as a you know a Jets as Jets fans, you know, I feel like Vinny Curry to the Jets has been a thing for like four years now, but we finally get him. Uh, what were your thoughts on the signing? Now this kind of came out of left field. You you know, you heard that they were talking to him, and then like five minutes later, you, you know, we were getting alerts that the Jets signed Vinny Curry. I like this signing a lot. The Jets have a very young defensive line, so I think he's going to bring a positive veteran presence kind of like when the Jets signed um, or traded for Chris Jenkins um, to bring along those uh, bring along that defensive line I think they could have a sim he can have a similar impact to this defense yeah definitely I mean again talking about this rotation he's been a rotational player in Philadelphia the last couple of years as as it stands anyway but uh, this guy is going to have the opportunity to come in here, add juice to this D-line rotation. Uh, and, and for the first time in, in a long time, you, f- you feel really good about the first and second units uh, of this defensive line. I mean, of course, there have been times where we felt really good about the first unit. Um, but the first and the second unit now, this is the deepest that I think it's really ever been. And, 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 it's it's going to be significant because all of these guys are going to play four to five hundred to six hundred snaps. Yeah, I agree. All right, man. So it was it it's all sounds good, but it wasn't all good, right? Uh, and I think the big elephant in the room uh, would be that they they couldn't get the big uglies here the way we wanted them to but how much how much do you how much blame do you put on Joe Douglas for not um uh, for not attacking this offensive line more aggressively through free agency zero i put zero on him um when you look at it the guys that were out there the guys that that signed they all went to really good teams and let's be honest the goal is to win playoff games the goal is to win the super bowl the Jets haven't made the playoffs in the last 10 years. You can't expect the Jets to sign these players unless they're going to overpay. And that's been the knock on every GM going back to Tannenbaum. It's good to see that we have a GM that's not going to do the quote-unquote Jets tax. That's gonna We're going to have a solid season, maybe make the playoffs, maybe miss the playoffs. But then we're going to be in cap hell. So I'm glad all around Joe Douglas looked like he stuck to his guns where he had a price. He might pay a little bit extra, but he wasn't going to overpay. Yeah, no, and I and I think, you know, Joe Douglas is... <laughs> all right, I'm going to get into a couple of things here, but I think Joe Douglas is definitely not going, you know, he showed us that last year. He's, he's, he's going to put a price on, on a player and he's not going to move off that price. Right. And, um, you know, he, a lot of these deals are really one to two year deals. 
Uh, so, you know, he's not really investing a lot of money in, in these players. Um, and, and like you said, with the with the offensive line, you know, Joe Tooney signed a $16 million deal to go play for the Chiefs. Right. Like he didn't sign, he didn't take twelve million dollars to go play for Kansas City and, and leave 16 and, you know, leave another four million dollars on the table from the Jets. Like the. Like he got offered top guard money to go play for the best team in the AFC with the best quarterback in the NFL. Uh, duh, he's taking that deal, right? And from all, from everything we've heard, they weren't really in on Corey Lindsley. Um, you know, they feel really go- really good about Connor McGovern. Um, I just I I think obviously they they were going after Joe Tooney. That didn't happen. Um, you know. And again, maybe they they find a way to upgrade this uh, this offensive line unit through the draft. But like you were saying, you got to give reasons. You got to give guys reasons to come here beyond money. And uh, you know, I think we've already seen Salah have that impact. I mean, if you looked, if you watched uh, Carl Lawson's, Corey Davis, uh, even Sheldon Rankins, they all talked about. Uh, Robert Sala. That was one of the first things that came out of their mouth as reasons as to why they signed here. So uh, I think that's huge having a coach like that. Carl Lawson was watching YouTube videos, and that's how he was like, "Oh, I want to play for Robert Sala." So like, th- like I think the Jets have a good thing going here, and so you know maybe they couldn't get the offensive lineman this time around. Though they'll, they'll uh, I'm sure that they'll get them. They'll get them the next time. But Frank, what do you? What about the corner? The corner situation. I know they hadn't signed. You wanted Kwan Williams. You want Richard Sherman. Um, I I would love for them to bring back Brian Poole. But by all accounts, everything that I've heard and I've read is that they are looking to to really draft and develop a, a young corner, and and they feel really good about a guy like Javelin Gidry playing the slot. Um, who, who did well in limited in limited opportunities last year? So, what are your thoughts on on that approach? And do you wish that they had gone out and signed a corner like a Shaquille Griffin or a William Jackson or something along those lines? I think it was always going to be really difficult for the Jets to fill all their <laughs> needs. When I look at at the totality of the first couple of stages of free agency, I think the Jets did really well. I think as fans, we're going to be disappointed no matter what happened, just because of the amount of holes that McCagnan left his team in. So we can't be really too disappointed that they didn't get an offensive, a top-tier offensive lineman, a top-tier cornerback, when you look at how the Jets filled their roster up to this point so far. Yeah, I mean... I, I agree with you on that, right? You have to figure out where you're going to spend your, where you're going to appropriate your assets, right? Like, you know, and you can't put, you know, you can't spend money everywhere, right? And so they chose to spend money on the defensive line. They chose to, that's where they chose to put their money. And I think that that makes sense, right? Because, again, they don't, they're not going to have to go into this draft. And maybe they'll draft a developmental guy if, if, if it fits, but like, they don't have to go into this draft saying, okay, we need defensive linemen, right? Like they're, they can go in there and, and take, take these interior offensive linemen. They, they can take a corner. They can take a wide receiver later. They can take a running back later if they cho- if they so choose. Right. So I think there's a ton of ways, uh, you know, a ton of flexibility that they have within this draft to get to get some things done. 
Um, Frank, what would you, if you had to give a grade on the Jets free agency and how it's transpired thus far, what would that grade be? That grade would be B, B minus. You know, we talked about it. They didn't get offensive linemen. They didn't get a corner. Um, got Carl Lawson, got Corey Davis, got Justin Hardy, and, you know, B, B minus. And I think, and I think that's important. Like, I'm sick of the Jets winning free agency and then losing in the regular season. Did it a couple of years ago. Le'Veon Bell, Mosley, a couple other guys. Let's let's build this the right way. Let's be in that C B range. Fit got get guys that are gonna fit the system, fit the culture that they're trying to build here, and then really hit on the draft. And that's where I feel like the Jets should be getting those impact players. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm kinda in your range. I'm actually gonna go C plus to a B minus. But uh, you know, I, I do again. I do wish that they had attacked the interior of this offensive line. I know Trey Turner is still out there, uh, so that's still you know that could affect maybe me changing this grade a little bit. But um, I would have liked to see them do that. But again, like you said, they did they didn't go crazy on the market trying you know throwing a bunch of money at people, which I do like. Uh, the Corey Davis deal is, is structured pretty well. So is the Carl Lawson deal. Um, and those are the two biggest deals, and, and and those are basically you have two you have an out after two years, and and neither one of these guys strike me as players like this is different than Trumaine Johnson, right? Where like Trumaine Johnson was was like 28 years old by the time he signed that deal, right? So like you're getting guys, a Carl Lawson's 25, Corey Davis I think is 25 or 26, like these are guys that are in their primes, and you're giving them two two three year deals, right? And so. I, I like that. I like the way they structured it. But like you said, continue to build this thing the right way. Build it through the draft. Uh, develop players, which I think Salah and his staff are going to be able to do. Um, and then you complement through free agency. I know John Nidzik, uh, He gets a ton of he gets a ton of uh, flack, and he's not liked amongst Jet fans. But one of the things that he said, I, I, I and I still you know stick with it to this day, is you. You build talent through the draft, and you fill needs through free agency, and so it makes a ton of sense when you say it that way, right? You you know, but uh, John Edzik just wasn't able to capitalize or uh, really, um, you know, hit on any of his draft picks. So, uh, Frank, now that we're talking about past draft picks, um, you know, why don't we talk about in honor of the trade that went down? Why don't we talk about some of our? Uh, why don't we talk about your favorite draft-related trade? It doesn't have to be a trade that happened on draft day, but the time that the Jets moved up or you know even down, um, you know, why don't you give us one that you know that they your favorite trade that they made? Okay, well, it actually happens to be a draft day trade. Uh, in 1993, the Jets were picked to uh, select number three overall. And they traded back one spot with the Arizona Cardinals. And with that, the Jets picked up running back Johnny Johnson and the number four overall. So they only moved down one spot. 
The Cardinals at the time picked up Garrison Hurst, and the Jets at that time selected Marvin Shade Tree Jones, who happened to be one of the best linebackers that the Jets ever got. He came from Florida State. He he ended up being a great linebacker. He's in the New York Jets Ring of Honor. Couple Pro Bowls. Ended his career with 1,200 tackles, 10 forced fumbles, 9 sacks, and 5 interceptions. And Johnny Johnson only played for a couple years for the team, but his first year with the team, he was the MVP for the uh, for the Jets. And he led the Jets in rushing and receiving in 1993 and was second in the AFC in yards from scrimmage. So I got to say, that was, that was probably one of the best trades that the Jets ever had because the Jets do not have a good track record of trading in the NFL draft. Yeah, man. Um, so I'm actually going to have to go with, I know I had a couple options here. I could have gone the Revis route because you know I touched on I touched on that before. Um, I could have gone the Sam Darnold route as well, and obviously not based on the results, uh, but just based on how the trade and, and the process. But I want good vibes only here, so I'm gonna go with a trade that didn't occur necessarily on draft day, but it involved a draft pick. Uh, and when Eric Mangini arrived, um. He ends up trading Jonathan Abraham, uh, and so that he ends up trading Jonathan Abraham to the um, to the Atlanta Falcons, and for, in exchange for the 29th overall pick in the first round uh, in the 2006 draft, and with that 29th overall pick, the New York Jets selected Nick Mangold, center, uh, after selecting. DeBrickashaw Ferguson at number four overall uh, earlier in that same draft and basically building out that offensive line that, um, you know, through some free agency acquisitions, uh, basically was the backbone for the 2009 and 2010 uh, AFC championship runs that these that those Jets teams made. Oh, without a doubt, that has to be... One, if not the best draft day trade the Jets ever made. <laughs> uh, so, Frank, we you know we talk about the good, we talk about the bad. What is the worst NFL draft day trade that the Jets have made? Now, when we were talking about this off air, one came to mind immediately, and that that was when the Jets traded in two thousand three. They traded two first round picks. A fourth-round mm. pick for mm. Dwayne Robertson, who was supposed to be <laughs> this stud combine warrior. And after a couple years, the Jets ended up trading him to Denver because he just wasn't the player that the Jets thought they were getting. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> that one was that one was really bad, a uh, really really bad one. Um, <laughs> and one that I thought of, but I'm actually going to go to a trade that the Jets didn't make. And I'm going to, I know I brought him up before, John Idzik. I'm going back to his error. I don't know why, but he's, he's, uh, he's on my mind today. Uh, John Idzik in 2014 held 
12 draft picks, Frank. Do you remember that draft? Yeah, the Idzik 12. The Idzik 12. 12 draft picks. And I remember uh, a drafty uh, a re- a reporter at the time, uh, Manish Mehta, of the New York, formerly of the New York Daily News, uh, he said that if the Jets didn't trade any of, if they didn't make any trade, that he would walk home from uh, MetLife Stadium or something like that, which he ended up not doing because Manish, being a man of his mur- of his word, ha, <laughs> wow, what was that? Um, but anyway, uh, the the Jets had 12 draft picks, and they really, really very sorely needed a wide receiver. And this draft class was littered with wide receivers. Uh, we talk about guys like Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Sammy Watkins, Brandon Cooks, uh, Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, Jarvis Landry, uh, you know, these are all wide receivers that were in this draft, right? Uh, and so I was hoping that the Jets would trade up from their pick at 18 to go into the top 10 or the top 15 to get a guy like an Odell Beckham. And apparently, uh, Rex Ryan will tell you that he was begging John Idzik to do it and John Idzik wouldn't do it. Uh, and so, therefore, the Jets ended up with um, Jay Samaro, Jalen Saunders. Uh, they did get Quincy Inunua. That They got that in the sixth round. But, um, yeah, that one that one was uh, sometimes it's not the trades you make, it's the trades you don't make. So, that's that was – oh, they took Shaq Evans as well. I don't know if you remember that that guy, Frank. But yeah. I remember his name. <laughs> I'm kidding. They were all, kidding. They were all just yeah. names. <laughs> they were all just names. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was it. That was what I got there, Frank. But uh, everyone, we really appreciate y'all for listening, uh, sticking with us. We will be back in two weeks, and we're Frank. I think we have a mock. Yeah, draft. we're gonna do a mock draft. We're gonna have some fun with it. So uh, hit us up on our social media. Uh, Tell us who, how do you, how do you like the episode, and who do you think the Jets should target in the draft? Yeah, and uh, just make sure you're following us. Uh, I'm at Jr Football Nerd on Twitter. Frank is at Frankie Bots with a Z at the end. Uh, be sure to follow us there, and um, yeah, have a good one, everybody. We are out of here. Thank you.